We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into the RotoWire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. This podcast brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. We got an awesome show lined up for you today. We're going to get into the RotoWire staff dynasty. So give give you guys a little peek behind the curtain of how uh, the, the RotoWire Brain Trust is attacking this rookie draft and the dynasty draft as a whole. And we're also going to give you a sneak preview into Mario's upcoming article breaking down the Falcons offense. I mean, there's so many moving parts there The the new addition of Arthur Smith coming over from Tennessee, a lot of stylistic differences between the w- way those two offenses ran a year ago. So figuring out how it's going to look on the field in 2021, one of the more interesting storylines, especially for fantasy, especially when you got guys like Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and of course, Kyle Pitts, and also uh, no real running game to, to speak of, at least that, that we know of. So uh, no Derrick Henry's at all, not even a Deion Lewis. So uh, we'll, we'll see how things shake out in Atlanta. But Mario, leading things off, what are your initial impressions here of the of how the first round of the Rotowire Dynasty draft ha- has unfolded? Of course, start leading things off with, with Chris Benzine taking Jamar Chase at 1-1. Yeah, that was a good pick by Chris. I think there's pretty much like four players, maybe three, that in one quarterback league's PPR scoring are justifiable first overall picks. And I guess most people would say uh, the the favorite, the consensus first overall pick is actually someone that I don't include in that top four, and that's Najee Harris. Uh, but that's a different conversation, I guess. But Chase for, for Chris was a good pick. I think Chase, ETN, Pitts, and indeed Trevor Lawrence. I know it's a one quarterback league, but since we're 14 team instead of 12 in this league, I actually think it's almost like halfway between a 12 team, one team, uh, one quarterback and a 12 team super flex or two quarterback, because it's, 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 it's one thing to kind of stream quarterbacks when you have a supply of alternatives, but when you're in a 14 team league and people aspire to have backups because the security of, of the waiver wire basically doesn't exist. It's like if Taylor Heineke is a free agent in this league, I'll be surprised if Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent in this league, I'll be surprised. So when you get into the regular season, uh, if you have a bye week you either have a decent backup or you kind of just are looking pretty rough for that particular week. And if you get an injury, your season's over. So that's a that's that's a certain strategy someone in this league could take, like just saying I'm not going to have a backup or I'm not really going to care about my quarterback depth. I'll just I'll just see if my one guy does it. 
but if that one guy does not do it, you have no recourse at all. So I think actually having a Trevor Lawrence type of quarterback is a nice um, a nice thing for a team in this sort of format because you, you get a lot of security and upside, whereas other teams are kind of trying to patch together a, a, a sort of version of upside and security. And, and in one particular pick, you can get it with Lawrence, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm one of the guys that uh, just kind of went for two value quarterbacks and I'm carrying both of them on my roster for, for this upcoming season, but I don't feel great about either of them. Uh, I have Ryan Tannehill and I have Daniel Jones. So I'm feeling pretty shaky and I, I actually have been uh, eyeing some t- Taylor Heineke in, in the later rounds, just in case uh, break glass in case of emergency t- type of selection there, just to have a little bit of fine, quarterback actually. depth. I, I mean, all fine, things considered, like you said, if you get one of those lottery ticket guys as a third, especially, I think you'll be fine uh, because yeah, you, you got a strong roster aside from that uh, at running back and receiver and tight end. So uh, that your case, you, you, I think you're playing it pretty smart, but uh, when we uh, first good first overall pick aside, our, our friend Chris Benzine's going to go into the year with just Stafford and see how it goes. And it's like, uh, you know, it could work. I, I had, I had some leagues last year where I had both Jimmy Garoppolo and Ryan. T- actually I had, my my best best ball team last year in the that whatever that expensive NFFC version of it is, I had Dak mm-hmm. uh, Tannehill who had some kind of thing come up. I can't remember what. Maybe he was just a little inconsistent at some point. And Garoppolo. So I went into the year with I was supposed to be like totally secure at quarterback, and by week uh, six, season over, pretty much. Uh, yeah. So that that just shows it's like you can. There's there's of course a lot of ways things can play out, but that includes a lot of negatives. And in this league. You don't really have recourse if the negative happens. No, ab- absolutely not. Um, looking elsewhere, um, so like you said, the top four or so picks um, tend to be, at least in other dynasty leagues, tend to be fairly consistent. But there was a little bit of a surprise uh, with the number three overall pick in, in this dynasty where Devontae Smith went. Uh, number three, and I, th- I think that that definitely, you know, over a guy like Jalen Waddle because. Uh, the second pick was Kyle Pitts, uh, so he goes before Trevor Lawrence, goes before Najee, Najee Harris or Travis Etienne. Um, so, is that what is your impression of that pick taking Devontae at three? I mean, it, it could be viewed if you're in a win now position. He does have a, a really good path to targets in that Philadelphia offense. I do question, you know, how many how pass happy they're going to be. I imagine that they're going to be kind of towards the the bottom of the league in terms of passing volume. But again, there isn't like a, a an obvious target hog that, that they have in that offense other than maybe Dallas Goddard, at least right now. So Devontae Smith could be, but again, this is a team that was picking third in this draft. So they're not necessarily in that win now bucket. Yeah, I wouldn't have made that pick. I, I wouldn't quite criticize it like i i would definitely wouldn't have advised it but since it was made i'm not gonna say like oh my god what were you thinking but it's it's not it wasn't something i would have considered and i like Devonte smith as a player and I, I agree with the with the eagles he could be their leading target guy and in fact i would kind of make him the slight favorite i think to be their lead target guy right away i think though that the eagles probably have have a little bit of like a Ravens with Lamar thing going on where they're not even really going to aspire to throw the ball that much. And unlike Lamar, there's not really much reason to think Hertz will be better than a below average passer in the NFL. So there's, there's a chance that there could be some like a high touchdown percentage in Hertz's attempts if his running ability works. And if the offensive line improves from last year and Miles Sanders kind of bounces back a little bit, but if those things don't happen and there's a lot of pressure on Hertz to kind of move the chains, I worry about that getting bad pretty quickly, actually. And that's, uh, that's something that could actually precipitate a, a good change for Smith's narrow interest because they could put Flacco on the field. And then all of a sudden they're throwing Ooh. a lot more, they're running a lot less and it's, it's probably not good offense, but more targets is more targets. And I would, even though I think lowly of Flacco, I would have to say he's probably a better pure passer than Hertz. If with Hertz, the whole theory of how it might work is that you leverage his rushing ability so that his difficulty level as a passer goes down. And I think you might squeak by if you do that and you commit to it and you do it well. But it's 
going to be easy to screw up, I think, especially since that offensive line struggled so much last year. And you've got a couple raw receivers and uh, not raw, but like Jalen Rager is more toolsy than polished. And then, then Smith, he has a lot of polish, but not necessarily a whole lot in the way of tools. So those, those are two guys who are going to be better in a year or two than they are now. And now is when the quarterback needs more help than ever. So I'm a little anxious about how that offense might work. I, I see certain upside scenarios, but the way people talk about it as a given that Jalen hurts lasts so much as like six games, I think is, is a little bit presumptuous. Uh, the, the mention of Joe Flacco there, especially in the context of um, having a running quarterback also on the roster, just, uh, brings back what warm memories of uh, Lamar Jackson's rookie year in Baltimore, where they would occasionally put Joe Flacco out wide. And I've never seen a man look more disinterested on a football field uh, than How Joe about, Flacco in those packages. Have, have you ever seen a, a man more interested in getting his receiver hung out to dry than when uh, Flacco threw that dead ball? Oh, Lamar on the oh yeah. Whatever. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Like, hey, hey, Joe, sure you were – Surely you weren't just trying to get Lamar put on a stretcher there, right? Like, yeah, you, yeah. You just like si- just like some Shakespearean, like single-handedly make sure that he secures the throne, but it, with his own doing. Um, so, so yeah. Well, uh, again, don't expect that from Philly, but uh, you know, we'll we'll see what what happens with that Philadelphia offense. And speaking of Jalen Hurts specifically, you made maybe the biggest splash move of the first round, uh, trading. Uh, what was the exact uh, 13 for eight? Okay. So uh, Harry, our, our sharp tech guy, he's he's uh, I think this is one of those trades that it, it made sense for both sides. Like I don't I wasn't trying to move Hertz because I thought he was a stinker. It was just kind of I wanted security with my quarterback backup. Like I, I already have Kyler Murray. So I wanted a quarterback to if there was upside with Hertz, I wanted to move him because he's going to be on my bench and and aside from that, I didn't think he actually gave me the security function that I wanted in a backup because I don't take it for a given that Hertz will be starting after week eight. And especially after this year, like even if Hertz starts 17 games, I really am not taking it as a given that he's starting for the Eagles in 2022. So the way I looked at it, I was like, I'm, I'm here at the 13th pick. I might be able to get someone like Bateman, a, a totally good receiver, somebody like that. Uh, but I thought, if I can churn this 13th pick into quarterback certainty for the next two or three years, then I guess I might as well see if I can do that. And I, I, I was a little worried that it would be a reach for Lance at eight, but I, I traded up a Hertz and 13 for the eighth pick and took uh, Trey Lance there. I, if, if in hindsight I could have made, or if, um, if I could do it over, if, if I regret this move in whatever, six months, it'll probably be because I took, her uh, Trey Lance instead of Elijah Moore, who was on the board. And I, I thought about it, but I was like, my, my receivers are actually pretty well built as it was. Like I, I went with a pretty wide receiver heavy strategy in the inaugural draft last year. So I didn't think I really needed the help at receiver. Whereas Kyler Murray breaking under Cliff Kingsbury, I am very much worried about because Cliff Kingsbury is a terrible coach. He has no idea what he's doing. And it's left to Kyler Murray's shoulders to and legs and you know knees to basically pick up all the slack from that man's incompetence. So there's only so many, there's only so many times you can gamble like that before things go wrong. And it started going wrong last year. I don't like throwing shoulder troubles for my quarterbacks. That's, that's not what I want to hear about. And uh, the problem is Cliff Kingsbury will never improve. He's not going to, he doesn't have the insight. It's not in him. He can, he can memorize certain answers to certain quizzes, but if he has to kind of critically think his way out of a problem that he hasn't seen before, he's going to sink every single time. Or, or if he gets out, it'll just be by you know dumb luck and chance or things like that. So Kyler Murray is going to keep having to bail out Cliff Kingsbury by doing heroic running uh, after the five wide curl routes across the board don't work <laughs> the 45th time in a row that day. And uh, eventually he's going to get rocked, you know? And I, I, if he does, I, I want to have somebody like Lance who has that rushing upside. And I think the Shanahan system will kind of smooth out whatever – limitations Lance might have whatever, whatever underdeveloped areas of his passing skill set there might be. So I, th- I thought the security for the long term and uh, the same functional utility as a backup more or less made it worth uh, giving up Hertz because uh, it, as it was, I, I had no real security for my backup. It was him 
and Jared Goff and Goff. I'm, you know, concerned about for different reasons, but uh, I, li- I like having Lance and uh, I might look into trying to move Murray. If he has a, has a decent year, Lance has a decent year because in 14 teams, it's the other thing you got to keep in mind is that if you're, if you're at 14 for quarterback production, like it, it, it hurts more than being 12th in quarterback production for a 12 team league. So the divide can be more pronounced and uh, a, a top five kind of quarterback, I think actually is pretty helpful in a league like this, especially if, if you believe what I do about my own team, which is like, I think I can find the the good dart throws at receiver and running back that uh, aren't, there's no such thing as the sleeper quarterbacks. You know, it's like, you just, you just got to go get them. Uh, you're not going right. to, you're not going to have anybody sneak up generally speaking. No, like, like there, there's a reason why like none of the quarterbacks selected so far outside of the ones that went in the first round this year. Like I, I don't think any like a, of the Kellen Mond, Davis Mills types have been taken yet. So yeah, the, the sleeper, yeah. the idea of the sleeper quarterback, uh, you know, the Tom Brady's or even like the, the Kirk Cousins's of the world are becoming, you know, even more and more scarce. Like you, you, the, the, the starting quarterbacks in the NFL going to be first rounders like you know 99 percent of the time it feels like it and uh you know in defense of Cl- cliff kingsbury running the the five wide curls that was like our goal line play uh on my flag football team growing up and it, it was pretty automatic yeah C- cliff uh bringing out the, the best lessons of recreational flag leagues and, and bringing some innovation that the nfl badly needed See, exactly. Everyone's looking at the same things. He looks somewhere else and, and finds it. Um, so, again, I thought that was an interesting move on your part and interesting stuff there, uh, especially and, uh, on like the long view on Kyler. Yeah, I was worried. So I was worried about that being a reach for Lance. But as it turned out, Zach Wilson and Justin Fields were the next two picks. So uh, I might not have been able to get that if I hadn't made that trade, I guess. So it, maybe that you can talk me out of of being bummed about this but with Justin Fields going uh two picks later uh he was top of my queue uh as far as what I wanted to do next I wanted to grab Fields at 12 if I could have or at 11 I'm sorry um was not able to our our guy Joe Bartle uh snagged him with with the 10th pick in the first round uh so I got your favorite running back Javante Williams well, that was a good spot to get him, though. I, I, right. I actually do think, believe it or not, that Javante Williams is good. It's just my whole position is like him and Zach Moss and, and Kylan Hill are basically the same sum of traits. Like if you're if you're adjusting for size, if you're if you're adjusting for uh, production, whatever it is, like they're basically the same sort of application on the field. They're, they're sub two twenty guys, but plus two ten. They run pretty tough. Uh, they aren't fast, but they they kind of do have some elusiveness to them just for kind of how, how, how shifty and their, their anchor ability, their ability to convert anchor into explosiveness and vice versa. They're all, they're all very similar types. Uh, it's, it's when people try to say that Javante Williams is the best running back in the draft or that he's uh, even, even if he's, they think he's better than ETN or Najah Harris, I think that's nonsense too. So I'm a little bit lower on Harris than most people. So I, I think for Javante Williams to be compared to ETN is absurd. And, and even me, a Harris skeptic, thinks that it's pretty close to the same thing to, to think that he's better than Harris. Like I sure I have a, I have I have concerns with Harris, but they they all apply to Javante even more so. And I, I have no idea how someone with a coherent process can conclude otherwise. It just doesn't make sense to me. No. So. So, yeah, getting the, getting the third. Got, Sure. Yeah. Eleventh is a lot better than first or second or third or something. Right. Exactly. And you know, this is a a running back group that that has some, at at least for for my team. I I have Nick Chubb and Antonio Gibson, so like I'm not super worried about it. But the depth behind, I do have Mostert. I do have Damian Williams. So I mean, that I I just like Mostert. So Mostert is a guy that I. I love watching him play, but it's just it feels like the it's like a sports car that it's just so hard to to keep on the road. The maintenance is so high, you know, always seemingly, you know, battling those bumps and bruises. So I've definitely wanted to bolster the the running back spot if, you know, if quarterback wasn't really on the table for me. I I wasn't going to go ahead and like jump up Mac Jones to do it. And then, you know, I already had TJ Hawkinson as my tight end. So I figured I'd grab a depth tight end afterward. And my, my receivers are pretty crazy loaded. I mean, AJ Brown, Chase Claypool, 
T Higgins, DK Metcalf. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, I didn't really feel pressed to go receiver there. So adding running back uh, seemed to make the most sense to me um, at 111. Um, let's move on over to the second round or, or end of the first round, actually. So the, the pick that you ended up trading out of number 13 uh, ended up being Trey Sermon. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on him, you know, kind of dovetailing off of the Mostert uh, mentioned there a minute ago? So uh, you might have picked up that sometimes I, I feel pretty sure about what certain players are and are not. Sermon is not one of those players. I'm not really confident about him either way. He's, he's a confusing sort of evaluation for me because mm-hmm. he, in some in some of the ways that I evaluate running backs, he, he grades very well. Like Namely, he was a very explosive, consistently very explosive running back at both Oklahoma and Ohio State. So he has no actual history of failure, and he has a pretty much extensive history of, of being very explosive with the football. So that's something I definitely care about and something I find promising. Where I, where I get a little anxious is when I try to figure out why he wasn't a starter and a workhorse at either school. Like he got, he kind of started later in that Ohio State season after, I guess, that huge Northwestern game. But he began the year and I, maybe even most of the year, was behind Master Teague on the depth chart. And Master right. Teague, who was coming off an Achilles. Yeah, Master Teague like, doesn't seem like much more than a Niall Davis type. Like he's a huge, strong, fast guy, but he just doesn't really seem to have much like wiggle or running back instinct aside from that so master teague might be good i i don't really have a strong take on him especially not at this point but it does bug me a little bit that sermon didn't displace him from the depth chart early on uh that said it could just be that both teague and sermon are good and it just wasn't really sermon's fault it could be ohio state politics too you know like you know uh, sermon was a transfer yeah, it could be the, all those things. So with Sermon, I feel like there's so much that I can't know for sure uh, that I that I can know with, with certain other prospects. So it, it makes me anxious to try to take any particular stand. But the specifically, the, the case study that concerns me with Trey Sermon is Josh Adams, because Josh Adams, I think, has quite a bit in common with Trey Sermon, namely that they were both very explosive college players. Like Josh Adams was super productive at Notre Dame. And like even more so, he, he was a workhorse too. He wasn't just explosive, like an off the bench, 10 carries per game kind of guy. Like he was putting up big explosive numbers as a, as a player taking on the team leading volume. And he's a little bit taller than, than Sermon, if I remember right. He's probably like a half an inch or three fourths of an inch taller than Sermon and maybe the same weight or a little lighter than Sermon. So both of these guys uh, in either case, are kind of upright built for a running back. They're kind of uh, tall for a running back, and then they don't have a ton of mass. And then they also kind of just have a sort of upright stance. Like uh, you can be six foot one, two fifteen, like Sermon, and you can get a little lower than Sermon does. You can you can kind of break down in traffic a little bit better. But as when I watch the tape of him, I feel like he has a pretty high center of gravity, and that concerns me because when I look at someone like Josh Adams and I try to figure out why he didn't succeed in the NFL you look across the board and you, it's not easy to find the obvious flaw. Like it's just, this is, this is a guy who is aside from being kind of tall for a running back, he was fast. He was uh, quick. Like he, he had a really good three cone time. He was super productive. He didn't fail on the field in any meaningful sense. So what, what would it make a player bad in the NFL? If he's a really productive, really explosive college runner who is fast and quick. And I think some of it might just be that his build is not, as functionally ideal for, for the NFL uh, for, for football tasks generally as it is for kind of just running in space, you know, it's getting to the open field and running is one thing, but it's not necessarily like a practical option. If you're so bad in traffic that you kind of just get swallowed up before you can get into the open field. So mm-hmm. I, I, I worry a little bit about that happening to sermon as he increases his workload. Like he should at the very least be an explosive off the bench guy. Like there's it's, it's perfectly consistent with everything he's ever done to be that much. At least the question to me is like, if you get him to 12, 15 carries a game, does he start to kind of take some awkward hits because guys are sort of headhunting at him? Cause he, he's got such a tall. He runs narrow... high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's tough for me to know why a guy like Adams failed. And until I have an idea, I kind of get anxious about anyone that I think looks similar. And I, I think sermon very much does, but 
maybe there's a I don't know his production's good. It's it's not like I want to fade the guy. I, I def- and then you know quite pertinently for San Francisco, I don't need to believe the running back is that good to think. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He'll be productive in, in the 49er system. And so... Right. I mean, Jeff Wilson's a great example of that. I mean, he was a really good college player at North Texas, but he has no athleticism to speak of. And yet he was very productive last year. So do I think Sermon's better than Wilson? Definitely. Right. Right. So that that's a good way to, to contextualize it. And, and, you know, it, it, it maybe tips the scales as far as, you know, what, what could go right when it, when it comes to Sermon. And again, uh, it's a, it's a system that just seems to be automatic with, with its running back production. Um, so We'll see how it works out for Sermon, but I, I think you, you do. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you raise some nice. some fair concerns uh, at the very least. Uh, next up, we had a trio of receivers go off the board, and I, I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on the order in which they went, and, and you know, with, uh, whether whether or not that uh, you know these guys w- would have been someone that you were targeting if you were picking in this range. So. Uh, end of the first round, and then uh, the first two picks of the second, we had Terrace Marshall, uh, now of the Carolina Panthers, Rondale Moore, now of the Arizona Cardinals, and Rashad Bateman, uh, now of the Baltimore Ravens, go uh, uh, in order right there. So Marshall, uh, Rondale Moore, and Rashad Bateman um, all in a row. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on that sequence? So I, I probably would have picked them Marshall, Bateman, then Moore. It's not something that I feel strongly about, I guess, but uh, Terrace Marshall at the, I guess Terrace Marshall, the first of those three, I, I do actually stand by pretty, uh, pr- pretty resolutely because he's good. I don't think there's really any doubt that Terrace Marshall's good. And I, I know he might not be dominant. I, I know he's, he, he's not a brute. He's not like a physical presence for how tall he is and how many kind of jump balls he, he came down with, how many red zone targets he came down with at LSU. But I think it's totally possible to be a finesse-style player and do those things. And I think the fact that he did it at a young age, uh, at a high level of competition, before all, before testing well as an athlete, like all that stuff just kind of makes it add up to me. And I, I think it would be shocking if Terrace Marshall were bad in the NFL. So when I look at that team fit, it's like Curtis Samuel left. And that slot position – is going to require, or at least last year, it entailed quite a few carries for Curtis Samuel. And Terrace Marshall can't take carries, or at least he probably can't. You probably don't want him taking carries. Uh, no, that, that should be DJ Moore, I, I think. It I would think if they, if they keep that. And I, I am actually kind of – I've been thinking a little bit the past few days, like I might be getting really high on DJ Moore because if they move him into the slot, I think he can go nuts and not, not because of the carries specifically. I think he's just a better fit there. I think he's a yards after the catch speed quickness guy. And I don't think he's a great downfield route runner. So I, I love DJ Moore in the slot. And if they do put DJ Moore in the slot, I don't think David Moore is going to beat Terrace Marshall outside for reps. Not, not, not after a month or so. And I think, I think David Moore might be pretty good actually. And indeed, if they keep DJ Moore outside, David Moore might be the guy who gets those Curtis Samuel carries. He got some carries with the Seahawks the past couple of years. So we'll see. DJ, uh, David Moore is not bad, I think, but I just think Marshall's really good. And if, if Joe Brady is thinking, I think it's a pretty obvious 
outcome that they should pursue here, which is Robbie Anderson generally outside, DJ Moore generally in the slot, and Terrace Marshall generally outside. And so, um, qu- question about like the the Samuel carries that that have been vacated. How much of that do you think was a function of just Curtis Samuel's background as someone who you know was kind of like a hybrid running back receiver at Ohio State had proven at, at the NFL level that he can he can be an effective ball carrier out of the backfield, and then you add in the fact that Carolina was missing Christian McCaffrey um, to where like maybe that that role with the carries won't be quite as prominent this year from the slot or, or am I off there? Uh, I think it was basically built to be that way. It, it, Samuel's skill set definitely factored into how they chose to build it, but I do think it was a deliberate outcome for them. So they, they might not be beholden to that at all, uh, but if they do want to keep that there, I think DJ Moore can definitely do it and David Moore can do it a little bit. Uh, so, We'll see. I think, though, that, uh, you know, last year they they wanted DJ more outside, specifically running the furthest downfield. Like even Robbie Anderson, they gave more slot work to more underneath stuff to than DJ more, which I I know they think they had a reason. I disagree with it, whatever it is. I still would have had Samuel playing outside last year, even with his carry ability from the slot, because Curtis Samuel's a great downfield route runner and he's faster than those other two, fast as those other two are. So I want Curtis Samuel running downfield, losing corners on posts and like deep comebacks, double moves downfield, things like that. You can give him the underneath carries too, but uh, his route running is more unique than his yards after the catch ability. Like DJ Moore is better with the ball than Curtis Samuel is. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, They, if they believe what they, if they stand by this year, what they believe last year, they might not give David, uh, they might not give DJ Moore too many slot reps and it might be like, David Moore getting a lot of the slot reps and then Terrace Marshall competing outside with Moore and Anderson, which of course he's going to lose in 2021. Uh, I could imagine Terrace Marshall replacing Robbie Anderson outside in a year or two, but uh, this year he's, he's basically, he has to see DJ Moore move into the slot more than he did last year. But if that happens, I don't think David Moore can beat Terrace Marshall outside. And if, if Terrace Marshall's getting the reps outside, I don't really see any reason for caution. Like I, I think he's pretty clearly going to be a good player with his usage. And the only question for me is what kind of usage he gets and when. So I, and I also think Darnold's a big upgrade over Bridgewater. So I think, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a truther, I guess for Darnold, but I, I don't think you need to believe he's very good to see that, you know, he's probably going to be better than Bridgewater. And uh, if, if he is better than Bridgewater, that could open up things for everybody in that offense. Yes. So yeah, we're, we're in on that for, for sure. When it comes to the Carolina offense looking better, as long as Darnold kind of holds up his end of the bargain, which we think uh, he will. So then that begs the question of uh, Bateman versus Rondale Moore, because, you know, you, you look at the Ravens uh, number one in, in rush percentage last year, running, running play percentage by a long shot, you know, 55% of their plays were run plays. So that, that limits, the overall target volume in this offense, you have guys like uh, Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown already established uh, as, you know, guys that, that are going to push for triple digit targets. So that, that starts to, uh, you know, we're running out of slices of the pie at that point. They, they also brought in Sammy Watkins. So do we think that, you know, Bateman is someone who more so takes over a big role in his second year and, and maybe is kind of, a little bit frustrating that this first year, I mean, I, I've been trying to figure this one out, you know, I, I follow the Ravens closely. So I'm, I'm just not sure, you know, with all the pieces that they have at receiver now, especially when you, when you look past Marquise Brown and, and Mark Andrews and the tight end, but you know, you have Watkins, now you have uh, invested draft capital in Bateman, Devin Duvernay um, and Tylen Wallace. So, you know, how does it all shake out and for, for Bateman specifically? So I would have taken Bateman over Rondale Moore because I think while Bateman has legitimate concerns about his target volume and even his snap volume, I think those concerns apply to Moore just as much. And I think that while Moore is promising, and I I do like Moore, I think Bateman is just totally clean as a prospect. And it would... It, it wouldn't be unprecedented for a guy like Bateman to fail, but pretty close. And I think that Lamar Jackson, for whatever limitations he might have uh, or the scheme might have, whatever the play calling might have, 
he's going to always throw more touchdowns per attempt than most other quarterbacks uh, slight slightly because he doesn't throw as many passes and it's, you know, therefore some of those passes that he does throw are going to be more selectively, you know, opportunistic than, than the attempts an, a pure passer might get left with, but mm-hmm. he scores touchdowns and he's unstoppable in the red zone because you can't actually defend him there. And if Bateman's on the field when they're there, then I think he profiles great for touchdown opportunities so I, and I and I think he will always be baseline or better for for his efficiency and a usage basis. So I think Bateman being the better player and not having an obviously worse playing time usage situation should go ahead of more. I do think though that the people who are getting their hopes up for 2021 Rashad Bateman might be a little disappointed. I think they're underestimating basically everybody else in that offense, but right. Uh, including Marquise Brown, but not just him, especially. Yeah. It's like, I don't even, I don't even know who people are overlooking worst. It's it's like Marquise Brown has this reputation of just being like a trash receiver. And that's ridiculous. People. Yeah. That's goldfish. They were, they were mad because they drafted him. What ended up being too high last year, but his last seven games of the year were great. And I think he had like five touchdowns in the last six or seven games of the season and had, you know, was consistently performing. Uh, you know, it, it obviously didn't end up being that year two breakout that either of us were expecting, but it, you know, it, if that presents an ADP buying opportunity when it comes to uh, getting shares of Marquise Brown, then I'm all for it. Yeah. So Bateman is not knocking Brown out of the lineup. It's just, no. it's not. People should not consider that a possibility. Mark Andrews probably can't be negotiated down much either. Uh, Maybe you take away some of his tight end snaps. I don't know, but you're not really taking out Andrews's routes. You're not, you're just not. So he Bateman has to displace not, not those two specifically, but rather in a row, he has to displace uh, Sammy Watkins and Devin DuVernay which DuVernay is probably going to play a different position. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to mostly work him where Willie Sneed was in the slot, generally speaking. And yeah. that actually could work pretty well because they the past two years, they've been doing these stupid like fake jet sweeps to Sneed. And I don't believe they gave him a single carry the past two years. But if you watch them, they try to do this thing like eight times a game where they're like, oh, we might give it to Sneed here. And then they never do, which nope. is a good <laughs> idea because you shouldn't give him the ball. But Devin DuVernay with that carry is a very different question and it might actually open an entirely new element of that offense. So DuVernay in the slot, which I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, Marquise Brown's going to get a lot of slot reps too, just mostly like the, the downfield pass attempts ones. And uh, which is to say on the outside, you're general. And of course, Andrews is going to get some of those slot receiver reps too. So outside Bateman just has to beat, you know, Brown and Watkins. And I, I just don't think, like he, he needs to beat Watkins decisively to be useful in fantasy in an offense that throws this much and already has Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews in it. So I think even if Rashad Bateman has top shelf efficiency this year, it's going to be pretty t- tough for him to break something like 650 yards, in my opinion, because it's it's just they're not really trying to do much more than that. They could have a really good year with him doing that or less than that. And if things are working, they're definitely not going to have an impetus to you know, scrap the whole format. So I, I, me believing in Lamar the way I do and the way that I evaluate Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews and Sammy Watkins. Like I think Sammy Watkins is actually good. He's just been playing in, in some offenses that don't really suit him. And in Kansas city, he was doing a lot of dirty work to, c- to kind of free up other things. And then when they give him those outside downfield routes in the playoffs against Richard Sherman, he dusts them right off the bat. So I, I think Watkins playing in that offense actually could be pretty dangerous. I, I like him a bit as a sleeper, but he of course has durability problems. Marquise Brown, even though he hasn't had like durability problems in the NFL specifically, anyone that's skinny, you're yeah, asking for yeah. a durability problem if you put up his usage too much. So there's ways that it can break for Bateman that way. I just think it has to break for him that way. I don't, I don't think it's fair to expect him to be better than uh, Sammy Watkins or Marquise Brown in his rookie year. Right, exactly. So, so that that pick probably ends up being more of a of a pick for for the future. But you know, this was the the team picking uh, you know second in the in the second round and second in the first round too, of course. So, uh, getting some some guys that that are going to be producing a little bit more de- down the road. Um, looking elsewhere, uh, let's see. Rounding things out, I didn't take a rookie with with my second pick. It the the pool had kind of uh, dried up. I was actually another. Uh, 
Joe Bartle, uh, making me mad uh, type of pick. He, he grabbed Nico Collins uh, at 210, uh, which spurned me to, to go ahead and, and go with Gronk, which, you know, I don't feel great about, but I, I needed a second tight end. And I, I, I sure wasn't going to get one of the rookies. So yeah, uh, I just went with Gronk. Yeah, even Fryermuth, I don't think, is going to be in a position to produce this year. Him and Long are probably a year away, interesting as they both are. But yeah, I ended up going with Chuba Hubbard in the second round. Not because I'm that high on him at this point, but I'm, I'm kind of just doing a zero running back approach in this league. That was my strategy the whole time because we have uh, an extra flex spot. Uh, maybe two, I can't remember. So basically, when you open up the extra flex spots and it's PPR scoring, the efficient way is to go receiver with those spots because the scarcity prices at running back dictate that you're paying as much for, like, I don't know, Kareem Hunt as you are for, like, Kenny Galladay or something like that. It, it, you know, that's that's probably a conservative example. Like, you got, you got just, like, crap running backs going ahead of guys that we would normally consider, like, wide receiver three types in 12-team leagues. So... Yeah. Putting, putting those guys in the, the starting lineup and letting people keep their handcuff running backs in the lineup instead, it, like that's just an easy choice for me. So I went with – I had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and James Robinson last year. Aside from that, I only have Tony Pollard, you know, to, to kind of wager on a Zeke injury basically and then uh, Chuba Hubbard basically in case he is Mike Davis this year. Which mm-hmm. I definitely think he's better than Mike Davis. I don't. I don't know what to think about Hubbard at this point. I think he's mostly like a Ryan Grant kind of player. I was hoping he'd be a Lamar Miller, but I think he's a Ryan Grant. But I think Ryan Grant was a lot better than Mike Davis too. So if the opportunity is there, I think it should work. And uh, it's only need two running backs, so I, I'm kind of comfortable just taking those sort of uh, you know injury swings at running back since I only really need one to land. Uh, Hubbard no, the second was the choice there. And then third, I went with Anthony Schwartz, even though I know he's probably good at least a, at least one year, maybe two years away. I, I was definitely thinking hard about Anthony Schwartz w- with my third pick, which was uh, two picks bef- before you ended up uh, going with him. I was wondering if I was going to be able to sneak him to, to the next round, but the answer was obviously no. But oh, I, um, I did go on. Oh, sorry. I, was gonna, I should have said uh, earlier, I wanted to get Amir Smith-Marset where I took Hubbard, but Eric Katuri took him the pick before. And it, I guess some of the, the Rotowire office people were ragging on him because he's Iowa guy or something. It's like, Amir, and he's on the Vikings, obviously. But uh, yeah. Amir Smith-Marset <laughs> is good. He's really good. And I, I really like him in, in Dynasty, especially. Not so much redraft, but Dynasty. I, I really wish I had gotten Amir Smith-Marset instead. Yeah, I had to think harder, but uh, when I ended up taking Gronk, um, I, I could have gone with Smith Marset, but again, my, my receivers were were good enough to where that um, you know I would have been skewing a need for for a luxury, so I, I just went with Gronk. But yeah, Smith Marset I, I think is a really interesting name that that uh, I know you've been beating the drum for. Um, let's see, in the in the third round, before you you went with Anthony Schwartz, I went with Elijah Mitchell. So I guess hearkening back a little bit to that. Uh, San Francisco backfield, um, you know, I admittedly he's he's not going to at least profile cleanly for a role, but you know it's not like Jeff Wilson profiled for a role, you know, this time a year ago. So, you know, Mitchell's toolsy guy runs in the four threes, I believe, for, uh, from yeah. his days at Louisiana was crazy productive uh, during his time there. So. I just thought that that was like a worthwhile, you know, swing for the fences, especially if like a year or two down the road. I know Sermon could be a roadblock potentially, but, you know, I don't envision like Mostert and and Wilson being like there for for years to come to where Mitchell is, you know, kind of just uh, a a zero. Right. I I thought that was a really good pick. And I was kind of surprised Mitchell didn't go a little sooner. I I think there's a case for having – Mitchell and Sermon closer together in the rankings than generally acknowledged just because the chance element is is so great in that backfield when the replaceability like the replacement level is so high it's like if if all it takes is a guy to get a bit of a hot hand for a coach to kind of reshape his depth chart then a guy like Mitchell can get a hot hand pretty easily like it's not it's it's not even a, a, like a Mitchell critic wouldn't even say uh, that, that he can't do a Mostert kind of thing. Like the, the, the Mitchell critic would probably say like, oh, you can only run like one kind of play with him and he doesn't pass block and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, doesn't matter for us. And if if, Mostert's, <laughs> if if those Mostert carries exist and Mostert isn't there to take them, Mitchell might profile better for those than Sermon would. 
So there's a non-zero chance, like much greater than zero chance, that Mitchell has a better rookie year than Sermon, if only because if these if there's these Mostert-specific tasks, then it's Mitchell, not Sermon or anybody else, who is the obvious backup for those. So right. they, they, they could just scrap the, the Mostert role and say, like, oh, we're doing the Sermon show. And I guess that's probably what we should generally expect, but we can't know everything. And there's a chance that Mitchell's just really good. Yeah, I, I think so too. So again, uh, worthwhile. And, and he's got that speed to where, you know, it, it could only take a couple of plays for him to to really uh, change that coaching staff's opinion on, on how much they, they need to use him in that offense. Let's get on over. Um, we'll, we'll table the dynasty talk. We'll, we'll pick it back up uh, next week once, once the draft is hopefully uh, finished. Um, let's move on over to, to, to this Atlanta offense and, and break it down a little bit. So I was taking a look-see at, at some things uh, before the show today. Uh, you know, th- this shouldn't be overly surprising. But but again, with, with Atlanta hiring Arthur Smith for, from Tennessee, um, Atlanta ran the fourth most plays per game in 2020 at 67.7 plays per game. Tennessee ranked 22nd. So, you know, an up-tempo Atlanta offense. Uh, now uh, being taken over by a guy who was lower tempo, uh, Tennessee. This won't surprise anyone. Third in the league in run play rate, uh, over a little bit over fifty percent. Um, Atlanta was just thirty-seven percent uh, as far as their run plays uh, versus the pass. Um, Atlanta ran eleven personnel, so that's you know three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end, sixty-one percent of the time last year, uh, and twelve personnel, just fifteen percent of the time while Tennessee ran 11 personnel just 38% of the time, which was the second fewest in the NFL, and 12 personnel at 35%, which tied with Philly for the most. So a lot of differences. Uh, I see the, the notepad coming out, so I'm excited. But, um, we, you know, what do we make of, you know, the, the fit here for Arthur Smith in Atlanta when Atlanta is so built in a, in a way that's just so – that was so different uh, from the way that Tennessee had things set up? Yeah, so I initially had some trouble imagining what they would do with Kyle Pitts and especially what they would do with Kyle Pitts and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley there. But I I feel kind of dumb for that now because I think the answer is surprisingly obvious. It's just it's it's not what we expected even though uh, the answer is is obvious when you try to like retrace the steps that they've taken. But basically Arthur Smith's just going to run kind of the opposite offense pass attempt versus run rush attempt volume wise that he did in Tennessee. But you can, anyone who's played Madden knows this. You can just run a variation on a theme. Like you can, you can remember something as simple as the I formation two wide receiver, all slants play where it's the outside receivers both run slants and the tight end runs like a flat route or a, maybe a, a post slant kind of thing. And then that same play exists with the I formation three wide. And it's just, instead of the tight end being on the line, that's a receiver now and he's in the slot and he's running the same route. So you can just run the same plays basically that they did in Tennessee, just with three wide receivers. Most of the time with Pitts being one of those wide receivers instead of two tight ends, each of those times. And it's like the, the, the splits are a little wider and the, the pass attempts are, 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 are more, you know, greater volume to, to basically pick up the slack that exists from Derrick Henry not being there. And mm-hmm. that's that slack can't be picked up by Mike Davis or anybody else that they might add between now and week one. However, that slack can definitely get picked up by Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts. So they're going to have to just run it. They're going to have to commit to a – like a philosophy on offense where they're they're basically throwing to score and yeah they'll they'll, i'm sure you know featured two tight end looks a decent amount uh namely with kyle pitts out there um but when you have kyle pitts out there instead of johnny smith or michael pruitt that's going to have to be a different sort of alignment like he's not going to be as tight with the line and even in the so-called inline snaps like he's going to be in motion more he's going to be lining up a little bit outside getting him a little bit away from from like the defensive tackles the defensive ends get get him blocking with some momentum under him rather than trying to like lift some heavy guy right out of his stance on the line little changes like that that little as they might be can can you know a make make the math work and b 
uh, hold some pretty huge repercussions for the for the you know success of the offense as a whole because I I think that um, you don't even really need to believe Matt Ryan's great or anything at this point to think that he's in for a big season like we were I, th- I think we were both concerned about someone like Fields getting picked at that fourth overall spot and making Ryan a bit of a landmine at the, the ninth, 10th round range. But now I think he's actually right. one of the best values there. Like I think he's going to throw for 5,000 yards this year. 17 games helps. I'm not saying it's a 5,000 yard, 16 game season, but I think he's going to throw for 5,000 yards if he plays 17 games this year. And if Julio plays, let's say 14 and Ridley plays 16 and Pitts plays, you know, 16 or 17, so I think what's what's basically going to happen here is you're going to see the same offense. It's just that some of these tight end snaps uh, maybe get subtracted for slot receiver snaps, some of which, or even outside wide receiver snaps, some of which Pitts will qualify for. And then you get plenty of tight end snaps for Pitts too. It's just, again, they're going to be more incidentally in the slot and, and a little bit off the inline. Like the inline stuff is the guy Lee, Lee Smith that they signed, who, who's the, the blocking specialist who was with the Raiders and the Bills for a long time. He's going to play the role that Jeff Swaim played last year, like the exclusively in line. I think you'll expect him to, I think you can expect him to play like 20, 25 snaps a game in that role. Hayden Hurst will kind of be like the Johnu Smith, Michael Pruitt type. Uh, I think he's going to play fewer snaps than he did last year, though. I think, I think he's going for demotion. Uh, I would expect um based on how tennessee ran their offense last year i think we can expect certain things to happen like the 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 titans basically ran 150 wide receiver snaps per game and 105 tight end snaps per game um over the 16 games 393 of those tight end snaps were in the slot only 25 were out wide 1200 or so were in line so i think you're basically going to see something like that 1200 number drop to a thousand something like that because Pitts is going to take basically all of those and either put them a little bit into the slot or maybe even all the way out wide or uh, just something in between kind of slot and in line where he's, he's the second tight end, but he's, uh, he's in line technically, but since he's the second tight end in the succession, he's pretty much, uh, you know, more like an H back kind of thing. He could get some snaps out of the backfield, but I don't really think so. Uh, Pitts could do just about anything with that they want him to like they can get him some screens i guess but i actually think pitts is such a profoundly dangerous downfield receiver that they could uh not just have him wide at wide receiver but have him in the slot basically doing like marcus colston kind of things uh sending him downfield down the seam from the slot is just so much stress on the defense down the middle of the field especially if they're trying to already deal with julio and calvin ridley so i think all those guys could be really tough to stop and if they're going this way, and I think they're basically compelled to, it, it makes me kind of optimistic about Arthur Smith because it's the opposite of a Cliff Kingsbury thing, you know? Like Cliff Kingsbury, if he got this team, if he got a team like the Titans, he would still try to run like five wide every play. Like he doesn't have the insight to adjust. He doesn't he doesn't fundamentally grasp anything well enough to know how things react to various courses of action. But I think Arthur Smith is showing some vision and, and showing the ability to pro- apply principles on his own. And, and, and kind of adapt and, and adjust. And that's all important. And I think that if they go with this passing attack, like it would be hard to fail just because of how good the players are. And then I incidentally feel like we have reason to believe that Arthur Smith will also add some pretty smart schematic details and smart play sequencing. So I'm pretty optimistic about it working and it would reflect very well on Smith if he does show this ability to go from run heavy to pass heavy basically using similar principles as he did before, but just with the ability to, you know, the vision to, to, to apply it in new ways that defenses don't anticipate. And if, if you're that kind of coach, you can kind of stay ahead of, you know, the adjustments as they occur, you can kind of keep the defense one step behind, even as they try to adjust to what you put on tape the prior week. And that can kind of keep you from hitting a wall in the season and and keep you uh, from, from going cold after a hot stretch. And with personnel like this, I, I think they could put some really big numbers up. And so the re Oh, sorry. I was going to say the reason I looked at all this was specifically, I was trying to figure out like, is Kyle Pitts worth this new ADP price and, and mm-hmm. draft. And I'm kind of reaching the conclusion that he is, even though it's also like outrageous and unprecedented. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's skyrocketing. Uh, let, let me see here where he's, uh, gotta be yeah, like he's, seventh round. he's going, uh, let's see his ADP. Uh, looks like it's in the set in the seventies, uh, according to Best Balls over the last. Uh, 
Yeah, so the highest he's gone is 30th, and he hasn't gone later than 111th, dating back to to the start of, or dating back to the draft. So I guess uh, dovetailing off of that, is this a stack that you might pursue? I mean, uh, especially if you go if you askew Calvin Ridley in the second round, but you go after Julio um, in the third, Pitts maybe a round or two later, and then Matt Ryan in the ninth. That's a pretty good setup. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. And so what I was projecting was basically something like uh, 700 to 750 snaps over 17 games for Pitts. And what I'm imagining there is a fewer run reps than most tight ends who get to 700 snaps. And even among the passing uh, – also in the passing reps, like the, the, the pass blocking rate should be basically zero. Like even when he even if he gets credited with a pass blocking rep, it, it should just be like a a chip shovel pass kind of setup where he's both blocking and running a route at the same time. So I don't think you need Kyle Pitts to be in like the top fifteen for for snaps logged among tight ends to still place in the top five at tight end because it's as an extreme illustration that you know isn't sustainable over seven hundred snaps. Ricky Seals Jones, his rookie year with the with the Cardinals, they did something where he he would play like ten snaps a game and get like four targets because every time he was out there, it was basically just they're, they're throwing to him. And you could kind of get something like that with Pitts, where he he only plays 700, 715 snaps, but still gets something like I don't know. I, I don't want to put like an unfair or you know something that's ages poorly up as a as an example but i feel like he could go something like 90 targets on 700 snaps and if he goes 90 targets like i i don't know which i don't know which is more reasonable to be concerned about with pits the the target volume or the per target efficiency i feel like the target volume is almost the bigger concern because i just cannot imagine pits failing in the way that it would take to to make a poor efficiency like i can't see passes going toward him and him not catching them it just doesn't right. seem possible to me so I have to imagine if he doesn't get targets, it's because of something like Julio and Ridley are just so good. It's hard to get open as much as them, which is totally possible. But generally speaking, like I think we've seen enough double teams of Julio, especially in the red zone, like in the red zone, I don't know what the hell a defense is supposed to do about Kyle Pitts. It's, I don't know what you can do about it. So if you can choose to like not cover Julio and Ridley, but you also cannot, like you can't really do that. So it's, right. it's something that I feel like it's like defenses are just going to kind of feel like they're just watching something happen helplessly. And uh, in the red zone, especially it's like if, if even if Pitts's yards per target is lagging or his catch rate is lagging, I feel like he should be the odds on favorite to, to lead that team in receiving touchdowns. If only because Julio usually settles in at like six or seven over 16 games. And I, I don't think Rid- Ridley's been a touchdown guy, I guess maybe you'd make him the favorite, but I guess, uh, when accounting for, Pits over for the odds, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I was gonna, I was just gonna say, really, he's been a touchdown guy for sure, and so he, he can keep doing that. But if if it's like you know the odds are uh, whatever minus one fifty on Ridley and it's plus two fifty for Pitts, I definitely like Pitts side better because I, I I don't know what you can do about him. I just don't think there's any way to stop him there. Oh, man, so that all right, I'm I'm getting pretty excited about about the outlook for for this Atlanta offense. So. Uh, let's hope that that old Arthur Smith holds up his end of the bargain as you're projecting, and, and uh, you know we can we can really see some offensive fireworks uh, back in Atlanta. Yep. Yeah, r- real fast. Like people are comparing Pitts to past tight ends, past rookie tight ends, and trying to can't do it. Can't yeah, do you that. should instead be looking at Marquez Colston's rookie year, something like that. Right. Because yeah, the the whole narrative that you know, uh, I for. It was He's some Seattle. T- like, it was like John Car- John Carlson w- was like the leading t- tight end re- yeah. rookie receiver for like the last twenty years or something. It's like d- if if you're running into a situation where you're comparing the baseline to to John Carlson, then like you, you're looking at this uh, all wrong when it, when it comes to Kyle Pitts. Um, different position. That's totally different position. Hundred um, percent. That's going to wrap things up for this week's edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. We'll catch you next week. Try RotoWire today, free for ten days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to RotoWire.com forward slash try. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.